Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Managing Madrid podcast. This is your host, Keon Sobani. It is Saturday. It is slightly after Real Madrid. Wow, I'm so used. I'm not even going to edit that out. I'm so used to saying Real Madrid. Slightly after Borussia Dortmund defeat Schalke. Um, coming up, Matt Wiltsy and I, we discuss that game. We break it down. We just wanted to give you some housekeeping before we start. Um, this is the first of many Dortmund postgame shows we're going to do. Just... Um, enjoy it because we're enjoying it and it's football and it's Atraf Hakimi it's it's the loan tracker on steroids basically because we're focusing on one loanee and who knows maybe some some order Zola playing time here and there for Bayern and we'll talk about that too but um, we're still going strong patreon.com slash managing Madrid we have a show every Tuesday and one every Thursday so that's two bonus shows per week and once La Liga returns which right now it looks like it will around mid-June um, any of the midweek games are going to be for patrons only. So make sure you have access over at patreon.com slash managing Madrid. Um, we have a ton of content on the site. Make sure you go check it out on managingmadrid.com. Follow us on all our social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We've been pretty active on everything right now. We have a whole team doing a bunch of things. Like really proud. I'm amazed we've turned out as much content as we have. And uh, we have, we're going to pa- give our pat ourselves on the, on the back and give ourselves a humble brag because... Uh, We've been reached out by Fox saying, you know, they're they're amazed at how much content we're putting out. I don't think any other SB Nation blog is quite doing it. So we're going to boast that a little bit. And uh, and yeah, so enjoy this one. Make sure you're a patron over at patreon.com slash managing Madrid. And without further ado, here is the first Atrap Hakimi postgame show. Let's go. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. Uh, wonderful lads that do a great job there and worth reading about that man there Kareem Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why All right, welcome to a very special Managing Madrid podcast. We are recording this just minutes after uh, Borussia Dortmund absolutely destroys Schalke in the first game where football returns and our fo- our first post-game show since Real Madrid lost to Real Betis, right? I mean, it seems like three years ago, but it was actually in March. So joining me, Keon Sobani, to break down Atraf's performance mostly is Matt Wilty. Matt, how are you doing? Kian, doing doing well. It, it was a it was a good feeling this morning waking up and knowing that um, there was some live football to be played and just having having that excitement and uh, gearing up, getting ready to watch it. it was a, it was a great feeling. We should mention that this is not entirely off base for what for the Managing Madrid podcast. It's not like we've completely reinvented the wheel here to and we're completely <laughs> desperate for football. To the point where we've decided to do a Borussia Dortmund postgame show. I mean, I mean, we are desperate. Let's be honest, but um, <laughs> we're also this is in our scope, right? Like we, for patrons listening to this one, you know that every single week for the past two seasons, we've covered not only Atref but every single Real Madrid loanee over on the Loan Tracker podcast, which comes out on Tuesdays. Um, funnily enough, in terms of just a single postgame show for a loanee. I think this is this only the second time we've done this, and the first time was also 
Atraf, right? It was the emergency podcast where he had an amazing yeah. game against Inter Milan, and we felt the need to talk about it right after the game. This one, obviously, a different situation where just football is back. So, like, just give us anything to talk about. Um, let's get the, I guess, the the ambiance out of the way and the aesthetic feel to watching a football match without fans. Social distancing during celebrations. Little elbow, elbow touches instead of fist pumps. Um, but, you know, obviously that's much safer than tackling. So we got to make sure we, uh, we keep our distance <laughs> there. Anything you wanted to note about the broadcast? Um, it, I mean, I, I think everyone kind of has commented on it and said, like, it, it did feel a little different, obviously, um, those opening five to ten minutes. But I think, I, I mean, I don't know about you, Kian, but I got used to it. Um, I just, I, you just focus on the game. You just, I, I almost feel like it's easier to uh, kind of narrow in on some of the tactics and just players' positions just because you're, you're not distracted by anything else. Um, but I mean, it does. Obviously, it, it is different. The, it's not the same atmosphere. But I, I think we're it's it's something that you'll slowly get used to. It's not something that we'll ever like prefer, but it's something that I think we'll slowly get used to. Yeah, I was used to it pretty quickly. I mean, the, we we we've experienced this before, right? I remember my first time watching a game behind closed doors was a game where Real Madrid traveled to Roma. I think it was two thousand four where they had banned the stadiums from that game. It was really weird then. But then we've seen it over the past few years um, for various reasons. Most of them had to do with fans being banned, and then most recently, obviously, today. Um, I thought the only thing, what the feel that it reminded me of was an indoor football pitch, like in a in a in just a local league where you show up. There's a, There seems to be a lot of echo. There's not really anybody in the stand except for friends and family and the odd, you know, whoever who who's in there. Um, you could hear everyone talking. I'm surprised that everyone kind of knew what everyone was saying. I I did not have the the level of sophistication and interpretation skills to, to understand what people were saying on the page. Some people did, apparently, on Twitter. I don't know. Um, but then once you get past it, I, I there was some maybe, like, some noises, which maybe they don't take away from it, but they distract you a little bit because you hear them more and then you hear helicopters or drones flying over. You hear that stuff. But but you get used to it pretty quickly and it's fine. So, football stuff. Were you surprised at how bad Schalke were in this game? I was. I I mean, for me, it just looked like Dorman were just so far ahead of them fitness-wise and just tactically and just every, all their game preparations. It was night and day difference. I was, I was shocked at just how far behind Schalke seemed. I mean, they were they were not good. And they have some good players on the team. A lot of people have obviously hyped up Tobito, who's uh, the Barcelona Loney center back. Schalke do have an option to buy. But, not great um, today. I, yeah, I thought he was just all right. I mean, he obviously, <laughs> Dortmund's attack is just so lightning quick. And they the way they utilize the half space and drag people out. And Schalke's, I think, did not do them any them any favors and yeah they just so many of their defenders got burned alive and keep in mind for Dortmund you you, you just mentioned their attack and how lethal and quick it is um, no Sancho came off the bench still recovering from a, a nagging injury they didn't want to risk starting him no Marco Royce Giovanni Reina um, who would have started pulled out last I guess uh, towards the end of or toward, closer towards um, the game because of an, of an injury him, to himself 
No Witzel and Emre Chan, who had muscle problems reportedly. So that's like an entire nucleus of starters. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was interesting because I, th- I thought you saw other players step up. So Brandt was involved in all four goals. He was great. The other standout was Thorgan Hazard to me because he, he took on more of the offensive mantle without Sancho in particular. And one of the things I noticed, especially without Jan and Witzel in the team, you saw Hazard in the, in the middle a lot. You saw him between the lines receiving that ball and he would be in the right place at the right time constantly. Part of that is because Schalke were just so poor at marking, but also because their press was broken pretty easily. Dortmund's press, passing out of the back was really good. So Brandt and Hazard were, were definitely standouts. Um, and Guerrero was on the left-back position, as he, as he usually has been this season. He's been really good. Um, but Atraf, um, maybe quieter than we've usually covered him, but, but also really good. So can you give, give everyone the context of what his role was in this game and where he started? Yeah, so in play a 3-4-3. Three, three. Uh, and that's kind of what we've seen from them uh, since, the, since the turn of the year. And Ashraf has been deployed as that right wing back. Um, and I mean, to your point, Ken, he wasn't as involved as he is. He only had seven touches in this game. He's usually in the hundreds sometimes, yeah. uh, and one of the most involved players for Dortmund. And um, he, but he did have moments. I mean, he had a lot of very good moments where you saw kind of vintage Ashraf. And when he gets down that right flank with space and time and ability to pick his head up, that's when he's so lethal and. Um, I mean, I have a couple moments where in the 12th minute, again, it's kind of, I, I just call it like Ashraf time. He's down that right flank. He slips a driven ball across goal. Uh, nearly, nearly a early goal for Holland. It was a sign of things to come. And then again, um, right before the, or around the 34th minute, um, I tweeted this, but then deleted it after uh, talking with you because I wasn't sure if uh, the Bundesliga had copyrighted um infringement on there but his vintage almost bail versus barter like run where he just it starts from dortmund's goalkeeper who huffs hoofs a long ball up the field gets to ashraf he's basically at the halfway line burns his first marker and then just takes a big touch and burns to tobito who tries to kind of muscle him out but he, he doesn't and uh, it was just an incredible incredible run he then cuts the ball back across goal to um Guerrero, who kind of fluffs the shot, but I mean that was it was those types of moments where you saw kind of Vin Ashraf and what he's capable of doing. That particular run was really unbelievable because it, to me, he had no business getting to that ball at all, and it looked like it was about to go out like five times, where you think he's he's not going to reach and it's going to go out of the sideline, and then he he still has it and and he's kind of muscling off Toribo and he gets to the byline, but it looks like it's going to be beyond his reach, but his speed, his, his strength to even get to it. I mean, that a lot of that is just pure speed, um, kind of like that Gareth Bale-esque speed. And then he had just a really calculated cutback. Like in that position, you'd expect that he just hits a prayer. You're just hitting it just across the face of goal. It's probably going to get intercepted or whatever. But it's actually a really, really nice cutback. Um, offensively, I think, I mean, it's interesting because I think some of his better stuff was actually defensive. Offensively, he was generally quiet. Again, Hazard popping up like in every channel, and Brandt, his passing, his flicks broke Schalke over and over again. Guerrero was great on the opposite side. So he didn't, Atraf didn't have to do much offensively and maybe didn't send out that much. Um, 
But I actually like the way he defended in this game, and I've been very critical of him defensively over the past season or two. I know you have too. Um, first of all, I thought his pressing was really good. Um, him and Piszczek suffocated that right flank high up the pitch over and over again. Anytime Shaka did have the ball on that side. Um, really good challenges in the box. Surprisingly, sometimes behind Piszczek, which uh, usually he's not even in those spots, and effort defensively, like it's transition defending, sprinting back. And I think that was one thing I was most critical about him this season and last season because if you if you factor in his talent and his pace, he's really good defensively. So all he really was missing was the effort to get back. Once he gets the effort there, he's, he's pretty good. He's pretty reliable defensively in that sense because you just know he's going to get there back in time. It was mostly his effort and kind of just switching off and making those mental mistakes that... that uh, that punished Dortmund so much in the past few months. And they've been, you know, leaking goals. Somehow kept a clean sheet in this one. Um, but I, I thought defensively he was he was pretty good. Yeah, I noticed that as well. I did think uh, defensively today he was far better. I thought he timed. He had a few topo challenges, which he timed really well to win it. He actually had three tackles in this game, the second highest on the team. Um, so yeah, to your point, he, he was much better defensively. And I noticed that Shelka at certain moments in the game would actually put five players, five attacking players across Dortmund's back line. So they were forced, it would force Ashraf and Guerrero to drop in, um, and literally play like a five V five, um, at the back. But one Shelka couldn't build out from that then, and then they were just playing direct and Dortmund would win all those long balls. So it actually served them well, and it gave us a chance to see Hakimi a little bit deeper and uh, defending in kind of deeper positions, which he hasn't he hasn't always been doing in that in that right wing back position. Um, another thing I noticed in this game, which has been totally different than anything we ever saw before, uh, with Ashraf at Dortmund, did you notice in the twenty second minute that he took a free kick? Yeah, I did. I think yeah, I part of that is shocked. also because. So many people were missing, I think. I think once you have Royce, Sancho, Chan yeah. in the lineup, he, there's no way Ashraf is getting near that. What happened? Yeah, did he good. force a save? Did he get a corner? I think it hit the wall or something. I don't remember. Yeah, I think it hit the wall. Yeah, it wasn't very good. Um, but that, I mean, I guess that's another point we can talk about, though, is the fact that there were, I mean, I felt like there were a ton of injuries in this match. Obviously, pre-match, the warm-up, Gio Reyna, who I was really excited to see. You mentioned... He got injured. Um, there was injuries before the game and then obviously injuries during the game. I, I think that's going to be a common theme, at least for the first few two to three weeks when players are coming back. And uh, that's 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 the only concern. And did Dortmund, use, I'm trying to look back now, did they even use all their five subs? Dortmund, I think, made four. Okay. Yeah, they yeah. made four. Yeah. Yeah. And they waited for a while, too. I was surprised at how long they waited to make some subs. Yeah, Schalke made one at halftime, and then then they made... Oh, sorry, they made two at halftime, because Todibo came out at halftime, too. He was just getting banged up. He didn't look fit, to be fair, at all. Yeah. Um, or at least he was just getting... He seemed to be getting injured throughout the game. I don't know what it had to do with but it definitely didn't look like it was. he was in the stride of things, which is kind of understandable. Uh, and then Dortmund made their first sub in the 67th minute when Delaney came out. Uh, by the way, did did Atraf switch to the left at one point? Because I I kind of came, I turned, I didn't turn off, but I switched tabs to look at some stats, and I noticed he was there was one moment where 
he he was basically on the left side playing on the shoulder of the defensive line somehow for a second. And I thought, and maybe it's because Guerrero was subbed off and he they just switched after. Did you, did you notice anything or? No, I, uh, that one moment was it was after um, a set piece. Yeah. Um, so he was he was on that side for a moment, but then shifted back over. Right. Um, yeah, injuries are a thing, and I don't. I don't know. I don't know how much to read into this, obviously, um, because Schalke just looked really, really bad. I mean, and and Dortmund. So <laughs> Dortmund are obviously better from a talent standpoint. So I wonder how much just like does this benefit those bigger clubs who had maybe better access to training, um, more talent. They're just quicker. They're gonna they're gonna run away with these games. I don't know. This is part of the reason why. I told Lucas on the mailbag on Thursday and I told him, you know, like I might be off on this, but I just had, I would just would feel disappointed if Real just starting dropping points to these weaker teams because if you look at them, a lot of these clubs can't, you know, aff- afford to have their their players, you know, being sent all this equipment at home to work out. Maybe these players aren't, aren't living in these big houses and there's smaller complexes, they're not allowed to go outside. I just feel like from a Real Madrid standpoint, they're, their access to training during the quarantine was so much higher than that of an average club that I'd be disappointed if they're not in better shape when everyone comes back. Uh, no, I, I think that's a that's a great point. And I mean, the other factor too, obviously, is what gives these smaller teams um, an opportunity and kind of really hypes them up and revs them up and is, quote-unquote, the 12th man is obviously the atmosphere, the fans, when they're playing away from home. And Real Madrid's form away from home um, has not been as good as their home or their form at home. So obviously, that's true. Um, th- that factor should help them from dropping points. You you would think you would think against some of these smaller sides. Um, so I know I definitely think that that could be a factor. And um, but Barca are on that boat too. Gear. They just yeah. have been so bad that's away from point. that this might actually benefit them. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but I mean, we also have to talk about. Holland. I mean, he, of course, he scores that first goal, and that that was not an easy chance. That was a difficult chance. It looked like it actually went off his shin. Yeah. Um, but Ashraf, I mean, that twelfth minute cross that Ashraf provided was nearly uh, that was going directly to Holland, nearly a goal. And then at the very end of the game, I don't know if you saw this, the eighty second minute, um, Ashraf makes another great run down the right and provides, I thought, what was a brilliant cross um, to Holland. But it seems like Holland was kind of tired by the end, and his run wasn't quite on cue with Hakimi's cross. Um, but I thought they had a good connection. And obviously, Holland just picking up right where he left off. Uh, goal and assist. And this guy's I mean, he's continues to look like a very, very good player. He just, he knows how to put the ball in the back of the net. And sometimes, um, well, I think one of the critiques of him have been that he doesn't link up. He doesn't drop deep. And there are, you can, you can watch an entire Dortmund game and have no idea where Holland is other than the fact that he's just the highest player up on the pitch. Um, but he just knows how to put the ball in the back of the net. That's, that's such an art. It's such an art because he doesn't need chances. Like you just, you see him just like pop up and just whatever. Like if you, some people will look at that and be like, well, it went off his shin. It was just kind of luck. I know, but like great strikers just score goals like that, man. They just know how to put the ball in the back of the net. They, they have a feel for it. I'm not saying he intentionally put that off his shin, but I'm just saying he knows how to get on the end of that ball. He knows the movement to get there how to shake off his defenders when he's trying to get to a cross. All that stuff, it's an art. Um, 
I wanted to ask you about Akanji. I know I know <laughs> we've been critical of him. What did you think of him in this game? I I thought he was fine. I didn't think it was uh I don't think it was really tested very much. I think obviously Delco really I think that at one point it was three shots to three and just all three of Dortmund's shots went in and uh, Schalke's three shots weren't even on target. But um, I, I thought he was fine. I thought his passes, I thought his passing was actually very good. He had a couple um, line breaking passes that he would play into either um, Brandt or, or Holland that um, really helped Dortmund open up the play and kind of move up the pitch pretty quickly. Yeah. I, th- I think that, one thing I noted about Akanji was that on the ball, he was pretty good. Um, his vertical passes were were pretty important in this game because Dortmund... Are, we should also say that Schalke, um, it almost was like painful to watch them try to attack because it was it just seemed like the same thing over and over and over again where it's like this repeated sequence where they go through this congested central channel they have no way through. They lose it. And then they're super vulnerable on the counterattack because they have no players to defend with in transition. And then Brandt or Hazard get the ball in space. And Guerrero's flying flying up. Holland's there as an outlet. And they just have no chance of defending it. I just it was it was crazy. And but but even even still, Akanji, because Schalke were a pressing team suicidally in this game, um, mm-hmm. and Akanji's passing was was key and kind of progressing the ball and making those vertical passes um and i think i mean those the two players that really uh and you've touched on it kian that really made the difference were hazard and brant because they were they would what they would do against shelka's 343 they they were coming into that half space and then dropping deep forcing shelka's center backs to make a decision do i step up with him or do i hold my position do i pull in a wide wing back and try to have them help me and then open up the space for Guerrero or Ashraf. So they were constantly having to ask those questions and make those decisions. And Shelka could not figure it out for the life of them. Um, and so every time they drop deeper, they drop deep, would go into the half space and then drop deep to pick up the ball. It was causing Shelka just nightmares. And uh, I mean, I think it, they probably should have switched to a back four, maybe gone to a four three three, or just. I think their formation really hurt them, and they were struggling to figure out how to combat um, Dortmund. And then, to your point, their their high line was just that was also not doing them any favors because you can't play that high of a line against a team like Dortmund, where you have Ashraf and Guerrero and Holland all bursting down the wings and through the middle, and just such lethal, lethal speed. Um. And I just pretty much like everyone uh, in general for Dortmund were just were just so devastating without the ball and again without so many key players, without Chan and Witzel, we saw Dahoud in there too, which I who I thought was interesting because his energy off the ball is is pretty amazing. It just he's constantly looking to be the outlet. He's constantly moving. He's constantly trying to give directions. With the ball, he had some good and bad. Um, some soft passes should have played. A through ball to Holland a couple times I thought, but he looked him up and made a a, a wrong pass. But overall, it was some some good energy in there. Um, I I think we should give a s- segment to Brand here. I feel like he deserves it. I mean, I most of my notes about him are just basically like here's a note on him in every single goal. On the first goal, he flicks it to Hazard, breaks the lines, he's open, 
and then Hazard with a really, really great one-time pass to Holland. The second one, it's the giveaway by Schubert, not his first and not his last mistake. And Dahoud and Brandt act really quickly, get the ball out to an overlapping Guerrero. And the third one, um, he pounces on the counterattack. Nice pass to Hazard. On the fourth one, uh, he's involved in spreading the ball out wide to Guerrero. And Guerrero's pass and move sequence is great. With Holland, I think it was. Uh, and again, Schalke were a mess. And he also had like this flick in the 71st minute where the ball is like falling from the sky really fast. And it's behind him. And he, and what do you call it? A scorpion kick? He, he, But it wasn't a full scorpion kick. He just puts one leg in the air and flicks it. And then like he almost switches it to the right flank to go and it goes to peace check and it was like oh my god, what what the heck was that? And you could see you could hear the bench go crazy. So that's that's my brand segment. I think you you might have stuff to add that's more articulate than what I just said. But I you know he he's another one. And sometimes it, when you when you have heavy injuries to keep players, the silver lining is you see what other players have. And not that we haven't seen Brandt and Hazard over the course of the season we have and they're really good but when you give everything um to them offensively they can kind of show you something that we haven't really seen them show already yeah and that that that's a fair point and i think brant i mean every time i've seen brant this year because i've just been i've been so impressed and uh, i think people still think of brant as um, maybe this winger, but he's not a winger. He's best in central positions. And um, Peter Boz, his former manager at Bayer Leverkusen, is the first one to put him in those to, into those central positions. And that's really where he thrives. I mean, he's a very good. He's a very press resistant and finds just perfect passes, plays in, into pockets of space. Like he's very good in the final third and just keeps his composure, finds the right pass. Um, no, I've been, this was probably one of his best games of the season, but I've been pretty impressed with him all year long. I think he's one of those underrated stars for Dortmund. He doesn't get talked about as much as Sancho, um, obviously Hakeem and Holland or some of the other guys, but he's a, I mean, he's a key piece to them and he, he really can unlock a defense and make things happen. Um, but I, Kian, I also wanted to touch on a point you made about Dahoud because, I mean, we've seen him come in kind of replace either Delaney or Witzel in other games, come on as a substitute. And for me, I'm always a little bit, because he, he was once a young player really talked about. He obviously still is pretty young, um, but he hasn't had that uh, big growth spurt most people expected. And I feel like sometimes um, his he easily gets discouraged after a mistake or um, his confidence kind of plummets after uh something happens if he he does something wrong and almost i I was thinking to myself like maybe for these young players it's almost it's an easier to embed them into these types of games without fans because there's not as much pressure if they make a mistake there's not as much there's not that feeling that all these people just saw me make this mistake um and maybe that's that's an opportunity for young players to kind of better embed themselves, feel more comfortable getting into the professional game, the top-level game, and find their confidence. And then, obviously, fans will gradually be brought back in, and um, their forms up, their confidence is up. So that's, I mean, that could be a benefit to all this, and that's something we could think about as well. Interesting. I mean, um, I think I could go both ways, though, because on one hand, because Berbatov was talking about this yesterday, where he said... um, he says, like, for example, if you 
if you replay the Liverpool, this is, I mean, this is totally unfair to even make up this hypothetical to an extent, but he said, if you take that Liverpool 4-0 against Barca last season, that doesn't happen behind closed doors. Uh, because you, now that may or may not be true, but I think even Liverpool fans will tell you that that stadium on a Champions League night is immeasurably beneficial. Um, no matter how good you are, that's going to help you, I think. So I, I, my point is, and Berbatov's point is, was that when you, when you play behind closed doors, you don't have that accountability, which is nice because you, you feel less pressure, but at the same time, in your mind, you go into it thinking it's a trek training exercise, and you feel kind of as loose as you might feel. You also, um, your energy levels in a pickup game, for example, is is going to be less than it is when there's like tens of thousands um, yeah. of fans behind you. So I think you could just go either way. But I think, for the most part, um, to me, to your point, all of Dortmund's players re- look really loose and comfortable today. So so maybe also like think about i don't know someone like gareth bale most of his good performances are usually away from home because he doesn't have fans insulting him i wonder (laughs) if like you have you know he gets to like actually like be himself at home now because he doesn't every time he touches the ball he's not being sworn at or something yeah i think this this break may be an interesting opportunity for bale because obviously we're gonna have five substitutes obviously there's some injuries to key attacking players like well, not key, but players that could be useful like Mariano and Jovic. So even if he's not starting, um, I'm interested to see what his role will be. Um, and if he can, to your point, without kind of having this, the, the atmosphere of the fans and not having those insults, and he's now had two months to really get his body in order because I think that's been the biggest thing since he's returned is we've all felt like, he just doesn't look 100% fit. He doesn't yeah. look like himself. He needed um, a break, I think. So, yeah, so hopefully um, this will be this will be a chance for Bale to kind of maybe to reignite his Real Madrid career after this little break. By the way, like I think I, I can already hear people listening to that and saying to themselves, how can he need a break? He, he barely plays. But when you – so the, <laughs> the argument in this, and, and this is pretty backed up like in, in, uh, in sports science, that if you – if you're like training on your own is much different than being constantly tackled and the wear and tear of being constantly tackled is, is way, way more difficult to deal with, especially for an injury prone player than is if he's just training, lifting weights, sprinting on his own because, and this is kind of the reason why his agent was saying, and you could see it on the field before he even said it, that he was, you look at him going to tackles, he's kind of pulling out. He's not He's not fully committed to going into 50-50 challenge because he's kind of scared to, and I don't, I don't necessarily blame him for that. But uh, So I think that you could definitely argue the, ca- the, the case that this is good for him. I mean, I don't know what that means, but um, I, I probably can't hurt. Uh, In yeah. His body, I mean, his but he's how many people have said it he's even said it himself that his body's like a like one of those formula one cars like very finely tuned like the slightest little thing can kind of set him off so if he has time to prep his body and kind of do the things that he knows works for him um i really think that that that's going to make a huge difference um i was so you brought up the five subs things which reminded me because i was thinking about I, I assumed in a general sense that because 
even though Bayern Munich are playing tomorrow, we won't necessarily have to cover Alvaro Odriozola. But what we've learned today, it's that a lot of key players will need a break. And not everyone's going to be healthy. So I don't, I, this is all completely ignorance because I, I have not researched to see what's the, what, if, how Kimmich are doing, how Pavard is doing, if there's any problems with that Bayern Munich team. So I don't know, forgive me. But um, we might, in the five subs now, we might actually see Audrey Zola play. So that's something to, to, to look forward to, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I hope. I mean, I hope. Um, I, I don't think he'll start. I mean, it's clear that uh, Hans Flick does not trust him. Um, that he's only featured sixty minutes total, I think, for Bayern Munich two appearances since since the loan move. Um, but yeah, no, hopefully he can get some type of minutes. And I mean, if let's say Bayern are winning five nothing like Dortmund in or this game by like the sixtieth minute, I would definitely give him a run out, give him a chance, uh, rest your other guys. So no, it's it's definitely a possibility. Um, it looks like. Pavard is fine. Kimmich, who plays in midfield now, is fine. But, you know, I was thinking if Pavard's out, maybe they just shift Kimmich back there anyway. But they seem to both be fine. Um, but probably just watch it anyway because there's no football. And, you know, all Canadians listening to this will want to watch Alfonso Davies, too, on the opposite flank. <laughs> so um, other Bundesliga things, if you want to get into it. Uh, Leipzig drew, which is good for Dortmund, um, a direct rival. 1-1. So... It's um yeah I I don't know I uh, a friend of the show Ryan O'Hanlon wrote an article like immediately after the game or at least published it after the game that um if you look at the schedule Leipzig has one of the easiest schedules for the rest of the season like much easier than Dortmund's and Bayern's and he made a case for for them to win the league so it's something to keep an eye on but um I guess Matt is there anything else that we want we want to talk about before we wrap it up. Um, well, just briefly to t- touch on that last point you made about Leipzig, obviously uh, Nagelsmann is their manager, and it's well known now that um, he was contacted by Real Madrid uh, after Julian Lopetegui, uh, was it prior to Julian Lopetegui or after Julian Lopetegui was fired? One of the two. Um, and he turned down the offer because he didn't feel like he was quite ready yet, but he's one of the, those... Um, up-and-coming managers, very, I mean, uses advanced analytics, kind of um, very progressive with his ideas. Um, and if this Leipzig team wins, this very young Leipzig team wins the Bundesliga over Dortmund and Bayern Munich, oh, the, my God, this guy's value is just going to skyrocket even more. I mean, he is he is a manager to watch. They are a team to watch. Um, they're a very fun team. So um, just a couple of things on Nagelsmann, because he could be one day, um, a future Real Madrid manager. He talked about them. There was an article about Nagelsmann in The Athletic, and he uh, talked very highly about Real Madrid and basically called it the zenith of um, becoming a, of what you want to reach as a manager, but he's just not quite there yet. It is truly the pantheon of football for good and bad reasons because it is probably the hardest job in football because of the pressure, because you have to get everything right. Even the smallest things will be magnified. And most managers don't survive. The fact that Zidane actually did what he did is is unbelievable. Um, but it's very rare. And the ones who can survive and actually make it work will be go on to have an amazing legacy. Um, and maybe that's the way to, to end this podcast. So some housekeeping stuff from us. We'll be back uh, possibly tomorrow, although I don't think Audio Zola is going to 
do enough to twist our Saturday <laughs> afternoon into into doing work to covering him. But who knows? Maybe he will he will do something unbelievable, like score a ninety fifth minute bicycle kick, um, <laughs> and uh, we'll be called into action like the and he'll put up the bat signal. But <laughs> probably not. So we'll be back Tuesday. We'll have a show over on patreon.com slash managing Madrid next Tuesday also on patreon.com slash managing Madrid it's the post game show for Bayern Munich's game against Borussia Dortmund um, so that one will be fun to cover and until La Liga comes back probably June probably mid-June uh, we'll continue to do these Dortmund post game shows and uh, who knows we'll we'll see if we maybe we squeeze more of them in even when La Liga does resume we'll see Matt this is great um, enjoy the rest of your weekend and hala Madrid. Before we wrap it up, we want to give a shout out to our $10 plus patrons as follows. Mikhail Nilsson, Frederick Sundros, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Balaccio, Adam Dorsey, Frederick Rantakiro, Leon Stavernakis, Christian Gonzalez, Ilian Zako, Yahya Ibrahim, Willie Reed, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Tyler Simon, Saad Omar, Oluwapamimo Oladonjoy, Christian Toft, Tark Sphere, Charles Williams, Kunal Tilakar, Marin Myrtle, Urim James, Raghav Potlery, Jeff Thurston, Gary Kohut, Sujai Wani, Pena Maradisa, San Francisco Bay Area, Brennan Stevens, Casper Moscala, Catherine Fagundo, Rafael Servia, Karen Scherer, Sumanshu Singh, Brennan Powers, Nelson Masariego, Umar Mahadi, Rovi Tagiev, Anthony Armesto, Shabazz Sharapov, Varun, Ashik Bashar, AMB6901, Faisal Hamdan, Alex Perez, Muxi Thengal, Sergio Arispe, Graham Gerard, Matan Baron, Kevin Rivera, Michael Kruchon, Zafar Chowdhury, Keith Lizenby, Hassan Chowdhury, Tobias Arroyo Botcher, Martin Ridman, Magnus Lex, Jason Fitz, Solomon Ortiz, Fabian Moreno and Philip Hammer thank you guys so much for your support we love you all so 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 much and hala Marie.